When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hi guys, this is Andreas Steno sending to you live Thursday, December 15th. I am live all week at the uh, Real Vision daily briefing throughout this um, interesting week in central bank space. And um, therefore, we are going to ask the question today, have central banks ruined Christmas? We are basically swimming in a sea of red in markets today. NASDAQ down more than 3% and it uh, looks red across the boards, even in bond space in Europe, where we had the European Central Bank uh, out with a very hawkish message earlier today. Uh, so we need a steady hand to guide us through these troubled waters. Um, and I know a steady hand out there, namely Tommy Thornton, the founder of Hedge Fund Telemetry. It's a great pleasure to have you back at the Daily Briefing, Tommy. Well, thanks for having me, and um, I'll do my best to um, try and stay steady. It's a very, very uh, difficult market. It's been that way all year, and I know there's a lot of people that have basically said, I'm shutting down, and they've packed it up for the rest of the year, which is probably not the worst idea. I'd like to do that, but I'll be here uh, every single day. Uh, knocking it out just like I always do. Tommy, I know you uh, watched the European Central Bank earlier today and uh, staying in this Christmas mood, I want to ask you initially, did Christine Lagarde just play the role of the Grinch ahead of Christmas here? <laughs> she was a very tan Grinch, but uh, <laughs> I'll tell you this. Um, I don't think I can remember a time where the ECB has ever been this hawkish. And if they've ever given some sort of hawkish comment they will you know they'll do something else like like they'll lower rates and you know a quarter point or something here and there do something you know it's a passive aggressive approach that the ecb has always taken so uh, as we were talking briefly before you said it was a very odd meeting and i think it's odd because i don't think you guys have ever seen the ecb truly come out and out hawk the fed and that's what I think Christine Lagarde did. She was direct, uh, really, uh, really hit the markets hard. And and especially, uh, I'm watching the Euro stocks, 650, just brutal. The DAX, everything just was ugh, massacred. And everything's been sort of consolidating at the highs. It ha it's had a nice run. And she just knocked the legs out. Yeah, indeed. And um, if I were to highlight a few things from, from that um, ECB meeting, um, I want you to take notice of the inflation forecast from the ECB. They actually expect the core inflation in Europe to be at 4% in roughly a year from now. Uh, and I guess that is why they now hint of interest rates going to plus 4% territory, uh, because 
as Powell has said, we need interest rates above the core inflation to bring inflation down. And I mean, if that is the case in Europe, that they really intend on bringing interest rates above 4%, oh boy, the fixed income market uh, needs to reprice massively from here. We still have, uh, for example, the German two-year bond yield just trading um, just above 2%, for example. I think you can bring up the chart on that, Brian. We had a reaction of a bit more than 20 basis points um, in the uh, two-year German note, but we're still far from the 4% if that is the true aim of the European Central Bank. But I wanted to bring the discussion back to the price action in markets surrounding this European Central Bank meeting. Um, as I said initially, we are swimming in a, a sea of red today, Sami. What do you make of the price action also technically speaking in, uh, in European and US uh, equity markets? Well, 3,900 for the S&P and the Eurostoxx 50 have both been levels that I've been watching. And if you go back to November 10th, when the CPI was released in the US, uh, the markets gapped up higher um, and continued to move. Uh, and it's tested that 3,900 level where, around where it opened. And it's tested it about three or four times uh, and Today, it finally broke, and the NASDAQ as, as well broke down as in the, from those levels. So all the people that have bought in the last month are starting to see their portfolios turn a bit negative. And you're not necessarily seeing it in the last five days, but you're seeing the month returns start to turn negative on my screens. And nothing, in my opinion, motivates sellers more than when they start to see losses and red in their portfolio. So if we see the markets dislocate a little bit more and break those, you know, that 3,900 on the S&P, <clears throat> we could have an air pocket of about three to 5% lower. And look, it's holiday season. A lot of people are gonna be traveling. Liquidity is terrible. Uh, so I, I think there's real risk. There's no more catalyst uh, for the rest of the year. I mean, we have option expiration tomorrow. It's a big one. It's a December expiration, uh, one of the bigger expirations of the year. And we could see some dealers unwind some of their hedges. Uh, I think there was, uh, I mean, essentially the lower we go below 3,900, uh, they're going to have to sell a lot quicker and and faster to, to remove their hedges because I think there were a lot of, there was a lot of call buying uh, going into this week, especially with the CPI. Uh, maybe not as much as um, as we saw a week ago last Friday when the PPI came out and surprised the markets um, with a little hotter report. But the bottom line is, okay, good. The CPI is showing the inflation is starting to reverse. Uh, I see a lot of analysts that are saying it's you know plummeting. I wouldn't call it plummeting yet. And I think that the Fed and Powell they're saying, look, we, we need to get the terminal rate higher. They moved it, you know, their dots to 5.1%. It could go even higher. And look, when the markets are up, it gives the Fed more ammunition to continue to raise rates. And even if they stop raising rates, they're not necessarily going to pivot and cut rates. I think that would be a bad policy error in the sense that they're trying to reduce their balance sheet at the same time. So if they did that, it would be counterintuitive um, to what their, their true plan is.
Tommy, right after the CPI report a couple of days ago, you tweeted, this was your early Christmas gift to sell. And oh boy, you've been right. What what made you so certain that this was a perfect timing to sell into the rally? Uh, a couple things. One, uh, I, I I didn't think it was that great of a CPI report. And it you know a lot of people were saying it the number leaked and it markets took off a minute ahead of the report. And I don't know, maybe that's true. Um, next time, I hope I, someone will, you know, tip me off. And uh, but the the point is, uh, I look at Demark indicators and their exhaustion indicators, and we had not only the exhaustion on the daily for the S and P and OEX and VTI and several other key uh, indices that I've been anticipating. Uh, we also had them on the shorter term time frame, which is the 60 minute tactical time frame that I use. And the DeMarc indicators um, are exhaustion indicators. There's other indicators that Tom DeMarc developed. Um, I will say that uh, the Real Vision uh, piece that Raul did with Tom DeMarc is excellent. I highly recommend everybody go check that out. Uh, it's it's well worth watching if you're interested in learning about DeMarc indicators. I, on hedge fund telemetry, I try to explain every day how they work, uh, but truly it's, um, it's they're indicators that I've used for 20 plus years and I'm still, you know, grabbing a book and trying to figure out, oh, that's how it works. That's why that did that. So it's just that they're, they're, they're sophisticated in indicators. One thing that um, I will say, Tom DeMarc, started developing these indicators before computers that and, and he did them on paper and this is in the 1970s he worked with larry williams and other people that i i swear how he created this um when they work they're fantastic and we also know when they don't work um we know that that's telling you something too that the trend is very very strong so yeah definitely go check out the um real vision uh, interview with tom demark and raul uh, I think I think it's uh, it'll be eye-opening for a lot of people. Uh, Tommy, you um, you sent us a chart before we went on air um, on the S and P 500 with a so-called Demarc sequential sell countdown 13. Uh, so please speak to this chart and why it is such an interesting signal to watch. Okay, well, um, essentially uh, we had th there's two phases in the Demarc sequential there's the setup which goes to nine uh and if it continues after that then you can have the red uh sequential countdown and that continues the trend um we tend to look for both the nines and 13s the nines tend to be sometimes a little shorter term sometimes more range bound uh, but when you do get the 13s it's a really significant uh exhaustion signal where one should expect a price reversal within the next 10 days uh, or 10 bars, depending on your time frame of how you're looking at it. So we had this happen um, with the spike higher, and then today it reversed down, and which is a nice start to the price reversal that we were anticipating. Now where it goes is, is your guess is as good as mine. I don't rule out going to new lows. Um, you know, we're coming into the next phase of this market uh, pullback where I believe it'll be more based on earnings declines. So I think that that is really the key that we're going to have to be watching uh, for pre-announcements uh, 
and and misses and weak guidance. I mean, if you're sitting there um, after hours, take time, listen to some conference calls, get the tone of what CEOs and managements are saying. I think it's I think it's beneficial. We're going to take a quick break and be right back with more of the day's top analysis on the Real Vision Daily Briefing. You're a podcast listener, and this is a podcast ad. Reach great listeners like yourself with podcast advertising from Lips and Ads. Choose from hundreds of top podcasts offering host endorsements, or run a reproduced ad like this one across thousands of shows to reach your target audience with Lips and Ads. Go to lipsandads.com now. That's L I B S Y N ads.com. Uh, Tommy, speaking of earnings, um, you wrote to me earlier today that you have uh, your attention focused on Apple and Tesla um, in terms of earnings. So why don't you uh, speak to this point? What What is it that makes you so interested about um, those exact two companies? Do they set sort of a guidance for the broader tech company, uh, sort of the broader tech stock um, space? Well, they're two of the largest companies still in the market, so obviously Tesla's been, you know, cut in half uh, after this year. But I'll speak to Apple first. I think that with the disruptions that have happened in China, I believe that that will translate into a weaker number. And I'm not quite sure that the China reopening story is going to be as smooth as people expect. I don't think that China has. Um, it's it's much larger country, much many more people, and I, I don't think it's going to be as smooth. So you could see some hiccups there. But Apple, it, you know, this there's a big debate whether it's uh, production issues or is there a demand issue. And I would say that going into a recession next year and people's incomes are lower because of the you know consumer or consumer discretionary spending is going to be weaker. We saw retail sales weaker today. Uh, you just may not see the upgrade cycle for uh, the iPhone 14. I mean, it's it's a nice phone, better camera, a little thinner. I don't know if it's thinner, but it's got a better battery. But that's kind of what every single upgrade has been in the last several years. So who really needs to spend that much money? You know, it just, I don't think it's going to happen. And so for Tesla, Look, I think it's a real mess for Tesla shareholders. Uh, they have their CEO who I think a lot of us have known he's a pretty much unhinged type of guy. It was cute and fun when the stock was going up. His antics on Twitter, but now he owns Twitter. He's doing reputational harm for Tesla uh, with some of the things he says and does. And I, you know, I don't think that uh, I, th I think his concentration is really more on Twitter versus Tesla, where, where Tesla is at a really important place right now. They, they've opened two new factories. Uh, demand may be slowing there, and that's been my big call, that demand will slow. Uh, we're going into recession. They have two new factories. The factories, as Elon Musk called it, you know, money-burning uh, burning furnaces. I, I think it's a tough quarter for them. In China, again, they have some issues. Maybe it's demand, uh, maybe it's production, but I think the the company is in trouble. Uh, the stock is down significantly. It was down 12% this week. We found out that Elon Musk sold three and a half billion dollars worth of stock. Why is he selling stock at the lows? I don't know. Could be to pay off some of the Twitter uh, bond 
uh, fiasco, which I think Morgan Stanley is going to take a big hit on uh, because they're holding some of that that paper. It's not doing well, and it could be for other things. It could be to pay for running Twitter because that loses money, and they're probably losing more money since he's turned off a lot of advertisers uh, significantly. And I think that um, you know you're starting to get shareholders are starting to get restless. Um, I think that um, if they come out with weak earnings um, in January, I think a lot of people are going to say, you know what, I've had enough. And I think that's, you know, again, he's, it's, this is, these are, Elon Musk has made a lot of unforced errors over the years. The, the fake buyout, uh, the other stupid things that he said on Twitter and uh, things that have never materialized that he promised that, you know, are coming in the next six months, autonomous driving, blah, blah, blah. Uh, he, he makes unforced errors and he's making a lot of them right now. So I'm short the stock, you know, it's not that hard to be short right now. Um, it can bounce around. It's not the easiest stock, but certainly I think that um, I, I see no reason to cover. Tesla is certainly not doing well in equity space right now, but the big question, Tommy, um, is whether this is a bellwether for the broader tech sector. Last time we spoke, um, you leaned short on the tech sector in, in, in general terms. What about now? I'm looking over at my screen right now and I see Adobe is trading up 5%. Um, I shorted it yesterday, so I'm basically round tripping it. I don't know what the numbers are or what the guidance will be, but uh, it's not a big position. And I still think that uh, there's there's a lot of risk out there. Um, so it's, you know, come see, come saw, it's, it happens. Um, I'm, I'm not too concerned. I think that still semiconductors, if we go into a recession, are not a good place to be. Um, a lot of them are beat down, but I still think semiconductor capital equipment is overdone or is still very elevated. Uh, and they're being cut off from a lot of Chinese companies uh, that, that like to buy their their equipment. So I, I still think there's risk there. I think there's risk in financials. You don't necessarily want to be long financials into a recession. It just it's not a good place because they're dealing with everything from corporate finance to the consumer. It, it's just it's going to weigh on them and uh, the risk of uh, uh, of consumer debt and other things uh, failing. And so, look, I think those are starting to fall apart right now, too. Tommy, the energy sector has been um, of great importance to the <laughs> average investor this year because it's been one of the few performing sectors, right, in equity space. Right. Are you still involved in, in, in equities or um, which way are you leaning in case? I, I only have one energy long right now and that's uh, it's a natural gas position and it's it's it was actually up today um we had on natural gas the futures uh demark by countdown 13 so i i looked at it and said i like i like natural gas better than i like uh crude i still think that crude could uh move into the 60s uh it's a tough trade right now because you've got a lot of people that are really really um adamant as far as uh, wanting to buy crude right now. Um, there's the, you know, we have the Biden SPR refill trade coming up. 
as of now, we haven't seen any signs that he's planning on refilling it. Uh, so that's out there. The China uh, reopening trade is out there. Uh, I, I'm not quite sure you want to bet too much on that. That could be choppy. But if we got into the 60s, I think that'd be good. I was long energy stocks for a while. Um, I got out of them recently. I've been looking at the sector and just saying, I just want to be patient, patient, patient. And I haven't been able to you know, get anything on the sheets yet. I haven't, I haven't uh, pulled the trigger on any energy names. But I do think that the best time to own energy is late January through May. The, the seasonality is really, really strong. And I think that if we get a whoosh down into January, uh, I think it'll be a really good setup uh, for the spring. We're going to take another quick break and be right back with more of the day's top analysis on the Real Vision Daily Briefing. You're a podcast listener, and this is a podcast ad. Reach great listeners like yourself with podcast advertising from Lips and Ads. Choose from hundreds of top podcasts offering host endorsements, or run a reproduced ad like this one across thousands of shows to reach your target audience with Lips and Ads. Go to lipsandads.com now. That's L I B S Y N ads.com. Makes sense, Tommy. I had the uh, chance to interview one of the most renowned um, energy economists from the Middle East um, for Real Vision, um, Dr. Anas Al-Haji is his name, he's Saudi Arabian. Um, and I had a very interesting discussion with him around both the price of energy, but also the spillovers to energy stocks. So let's uh, listen to Dr. Anas Al-Haji and get uh, back to the discussion. Generally speaking, when you talk about the oil stocks, uh, generally speaking, there is a disconnect between the actual price and the oil stocks. So when oil was priced at uh, 100, oil stocks basically being priced out about 65 to $70. So that additional $30 is not, is not there. And the oil companies, especially the smaller ones, opted for the fact that they want to distribute more money to investors, they are going to buy back stocks, and they are going to pay their debt. This is a very significant development because if they pay their debt, uh, in this case, and prices are high, then there is no need to hedge. The entire interview with Dr. Anas Alahaji aired today for our essential subscribers at the Real Vision platform. It's a must watch from our great make or break series. Uh, but back to you, um, Tommy, we uh, we get a lot of questions coming in, uh, in particular in relation to the price action that we've seen in Europe today. Um, very um, material price action in both bonds and equities in Germany, for example. So. If our audience is uh, sitting out there considering dipping their toes into European markets, do you have sort of a list of do's and don'ts when you um, start investing across the pond? What's, what's your thoughts? What are your thoughts around trading Europe right now? Well, I'm, I'm short the Euro stocks 50 right now. So let's just be, I'll be clear on that. Uh, you know, one thing that, to consider is the steepness of, of these drops. And when you see steep drops like this, uh, it's probably ill-advised to necessarily jump in uh, until you start to see a little bit of stability. And generally speaking, the stability, you can do it on very, very simple. I mean, it, it's not foolproof, but you can look at like at when the price moves above a five-day or a 10-day moving average and give yourself some time. And when it starts to do that, you you can 
generally get an idea that it's starting to try and you know build some sort of base. It's even better when the moving average starts to turn higher with the price. Uh, so I don't think you necessarily have to be too early in on some of these. I, I, it goes for really just about everything. The way I look at um, the way I look at markets. Um, so I, I think right now uh, it, it's going to be an interesting. Um, situation of how the follow through for the European markets after today will be. It's it's not necessarily the, the first day that really matters on the down move, but the forthcoming moves that that happen to see where the um, you know see where levels are, see what the the, the type of interday price action um, to see if there's some stability. But I, I'm not a big fan of one day big drops and then V bottoms. It just especially not in, in bear markets like what we have right now. Tommy, you are a true fan favorite at the Real Vision. We simply get so many questions and please keep them coming out there. Um, we have a question from uh, one of our very loyal um, members at Real Vision, Ralph. Uh, he's asking you, consumer stables and healthcare, XLP and XLV respectively, look good to me. What does Tommy think? And are there any other areas that look good to him on the long side? Oh gosh, that's a tough one right now. Um, you know, the the other thing is sometimes in bear markets you don't have a lot of places to hide, and energy was you know a pretty decent out relative outperformer today in the U.S. Uh, you know, look, you, you've already had some pretty good moves in some of the consumer staples moves uh, stocks. It's it, they may be priced out as well. I mean, I was looking at, at I was in Clorox recently, and um, that's starting to break down. Um, I don't have any necessarily like oh where where do I want to put money? Just because I feel like we're we're at these levels that it's either make or break. You know, up three percent, down five plus percent. So right now, I think that it's just I don't I don't have I don't want to buy anything. I'm <laughs> <laughs> why you know a lot of people are kind of like why would you need to put risk on uh, going into the end of the year especially with lo lower liquidity um uncertainty with you know just a, a lot of stuff you know i like certainty and um if i can use my indicators to increase the probabilities of achieving some certainty um that's that's my goal but right now i think that you know, look, you can be in Coca-Cola, it's a fine company, but that still could go down. I mean, that's that's kind of how I see it. I mean, I'm looking at my, yeah, it's not, not pretty in uh, consumer staples. So, yeah, just be patient. I can say- Sorry, Ralph, I, wanted, I know, call me, Ralph. I'll, you know, <laughs> I'll, I'll hook you up with when I buy something. I'll, I'll say to you, Ralph, I'm long consumer staples uh, in a spread trade to tech. Um, so at least you have my backing for that idea. Okay. Um, we, we have a we have a question from Derek uh, on Twitter uh, on home builders. Uh, and I remember a few months back, we talked about uh, your daughter buying a new home in, in, uh, in the US, Tommy. Um, so looking at home builders, um, uh, Derek asks you, um, stocks look sort of extended for what is coming to the economy. Margins are likely to collapse to 2019 levels at the very least. Are their inventories even going to sell? And in case at what price? What do you make of the home builder segment in the context of this potential upcoming recession and all that? 
Yeah, they've held up really well. And, and um, I think it was, I forget who it was the other day, but Lennar came out with earnings. Uh, first, it was, they were down a little, but the CEO and the management were sort of constructive that they could see a trough in margins uh, the first quarter. And that's why the stocks reacted positive today. Another thing is the obvious that uh, interest rates are starting to trend lower or have moved lower. So that that certainly will help um, the home builders. You know, you think about what's happened. If you have the if you have people, the majority of people, 60% of the country have mortgages. A lot of those mortgages are in the realm of the last 10 years with ultra low interest rates. Who's going to want to sell a house and maybe pay a little bit more for a house and then have a higher interest rate because interest rates were up at 7% versus their 3% mortgage that they've had. That's a notable problem. So there's that mobility um, isn't there for people to upgrade to newer homes. So if mortgage rates go or mortgage rates and interest rates uh, continue to go lower, which I, I tend to believe that's possible uh, for now, then you're going to see the home builders catch a little bit of a bid. And you could see some people say, oh, I'm going to pull the trigger on buying a house. I think that's why those have, have performed uh, relatively better um, over the last uh, few weeks as rates have come down. Tommy, we get uh, a few questions on precious metals as well. Um, and I don't know whether it's uh, a part of the market that you um, use to trade a lot. But in any case, uh, we have a question from from Ina asking you, what's your opinion on precious metals and how do they look, technically speaking? Well, a lot of them, I mean, they, they've had a good run. And that's, you know, they, they've, they've run up with the idea that the Fed is getting closer and the ECB is, you know, they didn't really factor in the ECB what they were going to say today, which obviously didn't, didn't benefit uh, um, the gold and silver and some others. But I, I, I think that they're, they just got a little extended. And I think we're, we're now in a place where you can buy pullbacks and not necessarily just a pullback. I mean, Gold was down one and three quarters percent today. I don't think you need to buy today. I think you can you can try and pick some places uh, in the beginning of the year. Gold also has a very good seasonal pattern right now as well. So, mm. look, if if you can get gold to move down three percent more, maybe five percent, it could be a good opportunity uh, to add to the or add that is a, a long position, but they just got a little overbought. Our sentiment indicators were, were telling us that silver especially was more overbought than than gold. So yeah, I'm, I'm constructive on those, on pullbacks. Makes sense, Tommy. Um, final question of the day. Um, it's from Maximus on YouTube. Um, he's asking us for thoughts on the US dollar in the context of both the Fed meeting and the ECB meeting today. You first, Tommy, and I may add a bit after that. Okay, good. I need your backup on this. Uh, <laughs> well, what I think, um, what we've seen is we saw the dollar top with some uh, DeMarc buy or sell exhaustion signal. So, or, so we basically had the 13s higher 
And now they've been, it's been trending down. We do have the DeMarc sequential in progress on the downside. I think we're on day nine of 13. It doesn't have to happen in exact order, but I do see the potential for it to move a little bit lower. Sentiment on the dollar. Uh, we use the daily sentiment index on our charts on the site and the dollar sentiment was above 60% all of last year and it finally broke recently uh, the 50% level. And I like to say the 50% level, sort of like the RSI, when you break below it, the majority of people are bearish. And it's now, I think we had it at 23% yesterday. When you get down to around the, you know, the teens and maybe even around 10%, uh, that's getting very oversold. Now, sentiment is a condition, not a trigger. So we'll be watching to combine the DeMarc signals and weak sentiment. So what's your take? And I, I think I have a good idea of what you're going to say. <laughs> I, I mean, I've been short Eurodollar for most of the year, um, and I tried to resell Eurodollar just uh, south of parity um, a month ago or so, and uh, I obviously got stopped out pretty quickly. Uh, in relation to what Christine Lagarde and the European Central Bank said today, I think the vanilla reaction is correct. You buy euros on the exact statement, but as soon as you assess whether it's really a good thing for the euro that the ECB turns overly hawkish, then I guess as soon as you allow it to digest a little bit, the answer is no to that question because um, I can assure you that after today's meeting, the Italian prime minister probably gave Christine Lagarde a call um, and we will probably enter a period with turmoil in southern European debt as a consequence of the ECB, first of all, hiking interest rates and secondly, also announcing QT. Um, we never really got to the point of QT during the last tightening cycle of the European Central Bank. So we don't really have any anecdotal evidence to look at or historical evidence to look at, but now they intend on doing QT from uh, 1st of March next year. And uh, let me put it like this, I have my doubts whether it's feasible. Um, so I guess the bottom line is with a bit of patience, you get a great chance to resell Euro dollar here. Um, that would be my uh, take at least. And if we get close to 107.50, I would certainly be a seller up, um, up from those levels. Tommy, uh, once again, a great pleasure to host you. Do you have any final uh, comments that you want to sort of leave the audience with? Uh, I'd just like to say thank you to everyone who's reached out to me over the last year. It's been a really good year for us uh, here. Uh, I've really enjoyed uh, the volatility as much as it's crazy. I, I sort of thrive on that. Uh, I want everyone to, you know, put into perspective um, uh, what we do uh, in the markets. It's really a privilege uh, to be investors. And um, I want to say happy holidays, um, happy Hanukkah, Merry Christmas uh, to everyone and happy new year. Um, I'll probably be back. Um, maybe they'll grab me during, you know, the middle of between Christmas and New Year's because I'm always working. But probably I'll be back in January. And uh, thank you to everyone at Real Vision as well. Thanks. Happy holidays to you as well, Tommy. And uh, see you uh, in 2023. I 
don't plan on calling you between Christmas and, <laughs> and New Year's, but um, <laughs> I'm not going to guarantee it on air. <laughs> Let me put it like that. Um, so to sum up, uh, I think it's crystal clear that Tommy and I agree that um, it's it's tricky to to, to buy equities, uh, given what we've heard from central banks uh, this week. Uh, but um, hopefully we get calm restart ahead of Christmas because um, we... We all like a bit of family time around Christmas, don't we? Um, we will be back tomorrow with um, Warren Pies guesting the show. But before I uh, leave you, uh, we have the meme of the day. And um, it resembles the meme I had yesterday with Jay Powell. So here's uh, the slightly more tanned Grinch. I'm going to hike interest rates until you morons stop using more gas than we have. And I think that is the main takeaway from today's European Central Bank meeting. Thank you for watching and see you tomorrow. What's up, revolutionaries? Thanks for tuning in to the Real Vision Daily Briefing. For more content like this, head over to realvision.com and get unfiltered access to the very best, brightest, and biggest names in finance. You're a podcast listener, and this is a podcast ad. Reach great listeners like yourself with podcast advertising from Lips and Ads. Choose from hundreds of top podcasts offering host endorsements, or run a reproduced ad like this one across thousands of shows to reach your target audience with lips and ads. Go to lipsandads.com now. That's L I B S Y N ads.com.